what what matters is that you step into that role, that you say yes to to your own calling. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy, and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter. And today, Joe is interviewing Christian De La Huerta. With 30 years of experience, Christian is a sought-after spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach and leading voice in the breathwork community. He has travelled the world offering inspiring and transformational retreats combining psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. An award-winning, critically acclaimed author, he has spoken at numerous universities and conferences and on the TEDx stage. His new book, Awakening the Soul of Power, was described by multiple Grammy Award winner Gloria Estefan as a balm for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. To find out more about his work and receive a free guided meditation, power practices and a chapter from the book, visit soulfulpower.com. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Christian De La Huerta. Welcome, Christian. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate uh, being here. Lovely. So start by telling us who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it. You know, these days I'm based in uh, Miami, Florida. I lived in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area for 20 years. I'm originally from Cuba. Um, but I have been here in the States for a long time, since I was 10. For the last, it's been over 30 years now, I've been doing personal transformation, coaching, retreats, uh, workshops from a psycho-spiritual perspective. So I have a background in psychology, my degrees in psychology, and, and I draw from, from teachings from the East and some from the West, indigenous traditions, um, and focus on themes like personal relationships, um, I mean, conscious relationships, how to do relationships consciously, mm-hmm. uh, personal empowerment, uh, women's empowerment specifically, life purpose, um, what it means to live a heroic life in the 21st century. Um, yeah, and I have worked both with, with individuals, with corporations, with nonprofits, um, and these days are like most of us have had to pivot and I'm offering most of my work virtually. Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, I said to you before we came on that I've uh, just last week, or in fact yesterday, but it will be last week in terms of when the podcast goes out, interviewed somebody else from uh, from Miami. So you do 236 shows <laughs> and your two guests from Miami are back to back. Like what are the chances of that, huh? I know, how funny is that? And I have actually been to Cuba. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting too. Recently? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm on honeymoon in 2004. But uh, so I think things have changed a bit 
since then as well. Um, it was just when, um, oh, what's he called? Um, I can't think of the, the guy that was the main, you know, president or whatever. Oh, Raul, um, Ca- Fidel Castro, Raul, his Castro, brother? Ca- Castro, he, he um, midway through our um, honeymoon, he um, he stopped take, accepting the dollar. Um, so we literally had to spend all our money in the first week and then not have anything in the next week. <laughs> so that's amazing. How interesting. <laughs> how yeah, interesting think, is that yeah so i think things have changed a bit since then no, it seems, it's a bit more sort of mainstream in terms of people visiting there now isn't it but uh it was still quite unusual then i think but uh, there we go lovely yeah, so- it's been it's been yeah. 10 years for me it's a little bit over, right. over 10 years since i visited yes yeah, yeah yeah i guess the the sort of vista on the sort of main streets with the lovely cars and everything hasn't hasn't changed much because that's very much the sort of stamp of, of the country, isn't it, in terms of people or certainly of Havana, of people visiting? Yeah, it is. And, and it's also a testament to, you know, to resilience, the resilience mm-hmm. of, of of the Cuban people that, that have kept these cars going since since the 50s. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, actually. It just it seems sort of really iconic. But you're right, the fact that they're, that they're still running <laughs> after all that time, which uh, wouldn't happen anywhere else. It's interesting. So let's yeah. talk back about uh, sort of where you started with what you you do now. In common with many of my guests, I don't imagine uh, you went straight into what you do now and sort of, you know, years ago, what you're saying now would have been seen as being quite unusual, um, albeit you may well have done, been sort of working in the area. You probably would have been describing it differently. Tell us a bit about sort of where it came from you talked about your degree how did you go from that to where you are now yeah you know if i look back at my life i think the the driver is the same so the details have looked differently but i think what drives uh, my sense of of purpose my sense of mission is the same which is um wanting to make a difference in the world and to make a difference in real human lives so I, at one point you know I was, I was raised in a very catholic um environment so at some point, I thought I wanted to be a priest. Then I, I studied psychology, so I thought that's how it was going to um, manifest itself or show it, reveal itself. And then I realized that there were other ways of providing healing uh, that were more on the alternative end of the spectrum. And I, I made the choice not to go for the PhD in psychology. Um, but but what drives it all is the same thing. and And from my current perspective, paraphrasing Einstein, you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness in which it was created. So when I look at the world and all these incredible challenges that we're facing as a species, the the terrorism and the pandemic and uh, climate change, we're just now beginning to witness what, what, what we have unleashed on the environment. You know, like sometimes any one of those in and of themselves feel overwhelming. Um, and and so when I look at all this stuff and I ask myself, how do we get out of this hole that we have dug ourselves into collectively? To me, the answer is it's got to be a leap in consciousness. And what I mean by that is we have to shift in a fundamental way, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we relate to each other, and the way that we treat the planet. Um, and so that's what, what drives my work, whether it's a book that I write or a workshop or a retreat or spending time uh, with you and your on your audience here on this podcast, it's like, how can I support that process? Um, 
And it, so, because it's, we're all needed now, right? We, we're, it's all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been said that the sort of the, the young coming through, the sort of, um, you know, teens and early 20s into their 30s um, generation are, are, are more sort of aware, are more conscious, are more um, interested in, in sort of meaning in, in what they do. Have you, is that what you've seen? Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think so. And, and, I, and I think part of it is by necessity, right? It's just the, the, the world that they're inheriting um, kind of forces some of these existential questions, is like, mm. which, which are all, always the same. Like, who are we and what are we doing here and where are we going? But in some of our cases, we start asking those deep existential questions earlier on in life. And, mm. and I think because the, the young ones growing up now, are, they're living in such a time of dramatic change where everything's kind of up for, 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 for changing. And um, Mm. it's like, sometimes we don't know what's up and what's down and what's left and what's right. And so I think by necessity, we start asking those questions sooner, which I think is a good thing. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, sort of, I look at, I've got a 15 year old daughter and I sort of look at the thing, her opinions and her questions and her thoughts. and, And I don't, I can't see that that's what I was like at 15 at all. Um, she seems much more enlightened and much more um, questioning and balanced and, and all sorts of other things. And I'm probably looking at it through, you know, um, rose tinted glasses because she's my daughter and I'm proud of her. <laughs> and and probably uh, <laughs> imposter syndrome or something for myself from for all those years back. But it certainly feels like, a lot of the issues of the world and a lot of the questions around, I don't know if you're even talking things like the LGBT stuff and, and climate change and all that sort of stuff, certainly part of her, you know, discussion and conversation, which I don't think was of of mine, you know, however many years ago, a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And for me, that's, that was definitely one of the issues too. One of the reasons that I started asking those questions earlier is because I knew from a young age that I was a gay, that I was gay. Hmm. And and so at the same time that I was growing up in in, in a Catholic environment, and and part of me wanted to serve the sacred or God, whatever you want to call it, uh, as I understood it then, in a religion that told me that I was going to burn in to burn in hell for eternity, that I was anathema, hmm. an abomination in the eyes of God, is like my adolescence was one long depression as I tried to to reconcile those things. Uh, but but I'm grateful for it because it for a couple of things, right? That that sense of pain and alienation and feeling different has really deepened me. And it, it allows me the, to understand, to empathize with other people's pain, even if the details are different. Yeah. The pain part of it is pretty universal. Um, and and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I had to struggle with those questions at, a, at an early age. I think it kind of um, gives us like a built-in head start Mm. Uh, because I think all of us hopefully have to ask those questions at some point. The other alternative, of course, is just running away from them and numbing out and all the creative, brilliant ways that we numb out and we run away from our feelings and our inner demons and anything that that implies feeling you, we, we, we numb it out with substances or food or sex or uh, shopping or television or social media or gaming, all the, all the creative ways that we run away from ourselves. Which is understandable, but not a very effective strategy because that stuff we're running away from doesn't go away. No. We can't sweep it under the rug. It's still there under the surface, having an impact on, on the quality of our lives 
and all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is much more spoken about all sorts of issues. You know, mental health has been a, a really big thing through the the pandemic, and and well being in the corporate spaces. You know, a massive sort of buzzword still. Um, it was it was starting to be already, and then obviously the pandemic sort of really sort of took over from there as well. Um, and and it's I suppose it's good that all these things are coming to to the the surface and are more spoken about. But it almost feels overwhelming that that there just seems to be more issues than ever. But as you say, a lot of the issues in the past were were hidden issues that existed. We just didn't know about them in, in the same sort of way. Yeah, and and it also helps us understand why there's a certain percentage of of humanity now that is kind of trying to look backwards, because there's so much up in the air, so many things that are changing, the way that we hold so many of these things, you know, the role of the the gender differences, uh, social justice, the LGBT stuff, or or any otherness, any kind of identity that is other than what the mainstream is, what the majority of people are, all that stuff coming up for for to be looked at, for many people, it, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for many people, things are changing too fast. So that helps us understand why there's a certain percentage of them um, that are going back and trying to hold on to things that to the way things were, mm. and people who want more uh, authoritarian, more dictatorial leadership that's going to tell us what to believe and what to think and what's right and what's wrong. Um, and yeah, at least it helps us to begin to have a, a little bit of compassion, understanding for where they're coming from. Mm. Yeah, as you say, interesting, it, it sort of is polarizing in, in lots of ways. And going back to talking about my daughter, I, I think she's she's teaching me quite often about about stuff that that's happening because she just has such a different perspective and i can see mm-hmm. you know i think i'm quite open minded and and um and open and you know with empathy and all that sort of stuff but she she takes me to task on a regular basis about things that i say and i think flip <laughs> a neck if it wasn't me you know if it was somebody who was you know <laughs> less of those things <laughs> i can't imagine yeah. the sort of conversation so um Challenge. Yeah, and that's true. But 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 you know what, Joe is like. Also, she is where she is because of you, right? Like you, in a way, she's able to stand on your shoulders. The work that you did, mm-hmm. um, and as far as you got, the you know, then the, the next generation is able to take it to the next level. And okay. and so the work that that our generation did um, just doesn't go to waste, right? It's we we keep uh, getting better and more um, intelligent, and more more compassionate more aware of who we really are yes yeah so can we talk a bit bit about purpose because it's something that that comes up um on a regular basis in the sort of entrepreneurial business world and and it's it's you know suggested that that people you know should identify that and that should help drive what they do and and all that sort of stuff um but it it also feels a bit like if you i don't know stop the person in the street and ask them what their purpose was you know many of them would be like what <laughs> um and <laughs> so and yet many people do have purpose they just wouldn't identify it as that and they are living their life to whatever that that is um what why is it so important and 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 what because I always think about my my own self that a bit like you are you know I want to make a difference and and I you know I really like helping people and I that sort of drives a lot of what, what a lot of what I do but i I'm never very good at saying, you know, this is my purpose. <laughs> um, so hmm. I'm sort of probably between those two types of people, if you like. Um, is that okay? What should we be doing? Should we be really clear? You know, should we have a 
a purpose statement for our lives. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think what's important is that we know it, right? That we just know it, whether we put it into words or not, is a different issue. Uh, so, you know, I think of the story about um, Viktor Frankl, the Austrian psychiatrist who, who spent years in concentration camps and, and lost everything. They took everything away from him, including, you know, all his family and his uh, pregnant wife, who was kind of a soulmate kind of relationship. And so being a psychiatrist, he would went into this into these places and try to figure out why some people seemed to survive and others didn't. And the more that he looked at that, the more that he started realizing that it had nothing to do with intelligence or education or physical strength, brawn, that it had nothing to do with where you came from or uh, socioeconomic status beforehand. In that sense, that experience was a great equalizer. Uh, what, what seemed to make a difference, the people who, who seemed to survive, were the ones that, in, in his words, were people, people who had a sense of meaning. Right? So he wrote a book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and back when I was in a, an advanced placement psychology class in, in high school, I was able, I was really fortunate to hear him speak. Um, and, you know, so, so, so that puts it into context how important it is that we get clear about what meaning, right? What we, we add to our lives, which is connected to what purpose, like what are we doing here in, in this blink of an eye that we have in in this journey of embodiment on this tiny, tiny, tiny pebble that is hurtling through space at thousands of miles per hour while revolving upon itself and somehow stuff doesn't fly off of it. So, so that those are the existential questions, right? Those are the ones, who are we? What are we doing here? What is my purpose? What am I going to make? What am I going to do with this little time that I've got here? What kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? Um, that's what purpose means to me. And, and it doesn't matter like so much like what the details are. I think what matters is that we give it our best, right? So, so that, we, that we give expression to our own unique brand of personal excellence, because that's where our fulfillment is. Like hopefully everybody who's listening to, to this now has lived long enough to know that no amount of money no amount, of, no amount of money, no amount of worldly success is going to make us happy and make us fulfilled. Like, like how, how many more examples do we need of celebrities or, or politicians who have all the money or all the power you, that you could want, and they're miserable, and they're thin-skinned, and the rate of suicide, um, it's high in that community um, of, of celebrities. So we know that's not enough, and hopefully we, all, we know that, that no relationship is going to make us happy. And, and it isn't even their job to, right? That's not the purpose of that relationship. If we're approaching that re- relationship with the, with, the, with the belief, oh, you are going to make me happy, it's like, forget it, because there isn't anybody out there that's going to make us happy. And how unfair to put that level of responsibility on someone else. Mm-hmm. So for me, from my perspective, is, is when we give expression to our unique human potential, that that's where our fulfillment, our happiness reside. Um, and it doesn't matter. It matters less whether, whether we write a, an Oscar-winning screenplay or whether we make you know, the best damn biscuits this side of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. You know, what matters is that we give it our best and that, and that we utilize our, our unique talents because there isn't anyone out there, anyone who has the same genetics and the same set of experiences that make us unique. So if we don't give expression 
full expression to that unique human potential, nobody else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's almost like, as I said, I, when I think about purpose, it always feels a bit sort of big to me, like I, I'd be um, some big guru on the stage saying I had a purpose. <laughs> but I think living your life intentionally, which I guess is what that's about, fits much better in terms of of um, of something to, to to aspire to. You know, and as you and as you say, using your your skills and your talents to do what you can do with them, rather than sort of ignoring them or 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 living a life mm-hmm. that you're not enjoying or that isn't helping people around you and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, you know, like a lot of people that I work with or who, or who follow me um, in social media, there are people who who are teachers, who are healers. Um, and, and so what I say to, to a lot of them, because a lot of them are struggling, what should I do? Should I be a massage therapist? Should I be a breathwork practitioner? Should I, should I study you know, oriental medicine, um, acupuncture? Um, and it, to me, what I say to them is it, it doesn't matter as much. Those are tools. Those are the tools on your tool belt. What, what matters is that you step into that role, that you say yes to, to your own calling. And, and I think we do have a sense of calling. And, and there are, so like in my weekend retreats on, on purpose, we dive into that ways of like, how do you know your purpose? Um, and, and so like when we step into that role, for me, it's almost like an archetype, like, ener- like an energy of the teacher, the healer. That when we step into it, when we say yes, I will do this, I will answer my call. Then, as then it becomes kind of like a like an interactive dance where that energy begins to inform us, and then opportunities begin to present themselves. Um, doors open, doors close sometimes, and and so and and so that I, I th- so I think that's the question here. And here's a, a good question to to ask ourselves if if, if people are pondering their purpose. Um, how did you play as a child? It's, it's really, it's amazing to me how often I ask that question at, at a retreat and all these hands go up who were teachers. I mean, who are, who are teachers now, whether in a traditional school system or alternative settings. And when they were kids, they used to, you know, either put their, their stuffed animals or, or their dolls and set them up in a classroom and teach. Um, mm-hmm. So, so thinking about questions like that, you know, how, what kind of, feedback do you get from from people right like oh like people tell you oh you should do this you should do that you're so good at this so so and not that there is one answer to, the, to that one question but but all these different questions begin to inform us and and then of course internally like what is it that when we're doing x time stops right and we lose track of time Those, those are all helpful questions to help us navigate, you know, how do we know? Yeah. Mm. And you've got me thinking now, what did I do when I was young? I, I liked playing shops. <laughs> I went into retail. That must have worked. That must have played out a bit. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking, where that's did the music, the music come in? But I, 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 I do music now, but I didn't do it for a long time in between times. But I uh, did a lot. Of, uh, musical stuff when I was younger and then uh, didn't do it for years but now it's, it's consumed my life again so uh, that's that's well there you go <laughs> there you there you go there it is so talk a bit about your latest book um awakening the soul of power yeah you know what I've realized over the years is that most of us have an ambivalent maybe even conflicted relationship to power part of us wants it 
part of us is afraid of it. And I think what we're afraid of that if we really stepped into all of who we are, like if we really owned our power, that other people wouldn't be able to handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone. Um, I think we also fear that we might abuse it, that we might cause harm. And no wonder, because all, all you got to do is turn on the news or read the headlines online on any given, day, any given day to witness at least one abuse of power. And then add to that, the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing. And, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And what they didn't tell us about that quote from Lord Acton is that he was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power. Mm -hmm. And so add to the mix, the fact that we've also been conditioned to be afraid of our emotions, right? We hate conflict. We avoid confrontation. Somewhere along the way, somebody decided that the emotions were weakness and particularly for men, right? Which has been ingrained into our, our young minds from an early age, little boys don't cry. It's like, wait a minute, how twisted is that? Why is that? Because only little girls cry and because emotions are weakness and because the feminine is weakness is like, I mean, so many faulty assumptions there. Mm -hmm. And let's just briefly take them apart. If you want to, if you want to talk this assumption that the feminine is weakness, it's like, wait a minute, you want to talk about courage and power and strength and, and ability to withhold pain. Let's, let's talk about the, the power of creation that resides in the female body. And, and if, and, and then let's look at about the emotions. It's like the emotions aren't strength. They're not weakness. They're not good. They're not bad. Emotions are just energies. How we express them, depending on how we express them, they have a good or not so good effect. But what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics that it's true. Everything is energy. Even our bodies, the table in front of us, the chair we're sitting on that feels solid, they're not. They're vibration. And so we know that energy cannot be destroyed. Energy can only transform, change forms. Mm -hmm. So when you put all this stuff together, what happens is that we end up giving our power away, our innate, inherent power that nobody can give to us. No one can take away. We are the only ones who, who give it away. And what's tragic, Joe, what's sad to me is that we give it away for the lamest of reasons. Like we, we say yes when inside we feel no. Mm. So we override our, our beliefs, our preferences, our desires for an illusion of security. We play small. Um, we, we stuff ourselves into small little packages um, because we don't want to rock the boat too much. So for, an, for a false sense of acceptance, and we settle for crumbs of, of pseudo love because it can't even be authentic love because we're not showing up as authentically ourselves. So anything that else, anything that is reflected back to us, it cannot be fully authentic because we're not being authentic. Mm -hmm. So it's not an effective strategy and it, and it doesn't lead, lead us to the kind of happy, fulfilled lives that, that we really long to have and, and to have relationships that can actually work. And so what the book is talking about is that there is a way that we can step into power into our power in a way that's not about hierarchy, about fear, force, domination, control, manipulation, that there's a way that we can step into power that doesn't require that we push anybody down, step on them um, in order for us to feel powerful. Hmm. So what sort of things, and I know we appreciate we've got, you know, minutes, <laughs> but what sort of things <laughs> yeah. can, people, can people do to help them to sort of move to that stage rather than be as you say, giving their power away? Yeah, well, I mean, 
by the book. I mean, first of all, yeah. seriously, it's 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 <laughs> it's happen. very it's it's very readable and and it's designed with short interactive chapters. So at, at the end of every chapter, so it's it's very because I know how busy we all are and who's got time to read, right? So that's why I designed very short chapters intentionally with practices. So I don't care if you do a chapter a week; it'll take you ten minutes to read it. Spend another 10 minutes or just let it be in the back of your mind throughout the week what the questions are, the, the, the power practices at the end, because those are designed to apply the teachings to our lives so that they don't stay at the level of ideas and concepts, because we don't need more information. We've got information overload. What we need is transformation, and that's what those teaching, those practices are designed to do so that we integrate them into our lives. And so a couple of simple things that people can begin to do now, it's like begin to question. Right? What do I? What do I? What are my beliefs about power? Right? That's one of the things that we spend some time doing in retreats. What? What, what do we believe and why about power? Does power corrupt? A lot of women that I work with, you know, believe that if I really stepped into my power, that men would be threatened, and that I might end up alone. It's like so, we unearth, you know, we we uncover all the stuff that we have suppressed. Um, and at least ask ourselves why we believe the things we do. So that's one thing that people can begin doing just now. And then also begin to notice, right? This is this comes from self-observation because nobody else can tell us this. This is just from, from witnessing ourselves. So begin to notice what, what the patterns are in relationship to power. Do we tend to give our power away, for example, in intimate, romantic, sexual relationships? Do we tend to give our power away more with authority figures, which would be, you know, more parental figures, uh, bosses, coaches, uh, religious leaders, that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Or, or maybe do we need to give, um, you know, give our power away where, where more like survival issues are at stake? You know, with uh, so so that those just to those simple practices begin to make us more aware of why we do the things we do. Mm -hmm. So you've touched a bit on how you work with your clients. You've talked about retreats. How what what do your days look like? You know, well, these days, my I've been doing retreats for more than thirty years, but as of last year, you know, came to a screeching halt. Yeah, yeah. Um, because one of the one of the practices that I do, one of the healing techniques that I use in my retreats is breathwork, which is uh, an amazing and very effective. Uh, healing practice. I, I've yet to come across anything that heals past trauma as quickly and as effectively uh, as it does. When I discover breath work, um, that's when I switch. That's when I jumped tracks and I never went for the PhD in psychology. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we can't, we can't breathe powerfully in a room full of people right now with each other. Uh, so I've, I've switched uh, and are doing more stuff virtually online one of the things for that I'm actually really grateful for, um, for the pandemic, and without minimizing the tragic parts of it. Mm -hmm. But in my case, there are a couple of things that I'm really grateful for. I mean, the mandatory timeout. We now went from 100,000 miles on an airplane to zero mm -hmm. um, in, in a year. And, and so it gave me the opportunity to finish this book that I've been brewing inside my head for probably 10 years. And it also forced my hand. I had to develop what I've known for years I needed to do, which was virtual programming, if I was going to, uh, you know, broaden my reach and, and scale my work and, and, and reach people who may never come to a retreat, I, I've known that I had to do this and COVID forced my hand, forced me to do it. And I'll go back to doing retreats as soon as we can. 
And here's here's uh, I'm, why I'm really grateful and what I'm really appreciating about the virtual program is what I've what I've done. I've got a couple of programs. The, the one that I'm really enjoying is a year long coaching program because I get to use themes from all my different retreats. We get to dive deep um, and and really ensure that that transformation happens over the course of a year. And by putting in a couple of key elements, so so keeping the group small, you know, twenty around twenty people, so to ensure both a sense of support um, and kind of like you're going through this year of transformation with with a family of like-minded others. And it also creates a sense of accountability. So there's coaching calls with me every two weeks. And then they're also divided into smaller dyads or triads, uh, power pods, I call them. And so in the in-between weeks, they meet on their own and just keep themselves doing what they said they were to keep, keep ourselves accountable. Um, and, and so I'm really enjoying that part of it because what I've noticed too, people come, will come to a weekend and they'll have this amazing life transforming experience. And if they don't have a support system back home, if they don't have a system of accountability, uh, if they don't have a practice that's going to keep them connected and remembering, it's it's not unheard of. It's it's easy to start forgetting, and and life is so full of distractions that I've noticed that in a certain number of people, they you know they start forgetting, and then the old voices of fear and self doubt and this, the old self sabotaging behaviors and they start creeping up again, and then they have to come to another retreat. So so that's what the beauty I'm seeing of this year long program that I'm really appreciating. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And and what sort of, I'm just thinking practically, what sort of um, tools and platforms and apps are you using um, generally? I was going to say now, but <laughs> Zoom will probably be one of them. <laughs> Zoom for sure. Um, I use Infusionsoft, which I think is called Keep now as my Keep, client yeah, yeah. Um, manager. Mm-hmm. Um, doing, doing, you know, stuff, um, Facebook that I had never done before, like a group and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fa- have a Facebook group. It's called Unle- "Unleash Your In- Inner Hero." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so like like many people, you know, I, I had to pivot and start to learn how to how to how do I get my my work out there, or my how do I share this message that I know is life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, how, but I have to get it out there, right? I have, to, I have to get it to people. How do I do that? How do I reach them? Yeah. Um, I use Asana also, the app. I don't know if you know it, but yeah. it's sort of uh, it yeah. an, an organizer. Oh, you use it too? Yes. Yeah. 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 Works well, doesn't it? That's great. Collaborating yeah. works well on it too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that part of it. Mm-hmm. I love that part of it. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And what about learning and improving yourself? So sort of developing and, and keeping sort of up to speed with, developments in in your area what sort of things do you do to ensure that happens you know it's like because of the work that I, that I do because of the nature of the work that I do I'm, I'm always kind of at the cutting edge like so for example I produce a, a virtual summit uh, once a year I might start doing it twice a year it's called leaders transforming global consciousness so I, I get to interview people that are, that are at the cutting edge of their fields whether you know so we talk about a social uh, spiritual entrepreneurship or social consciousness or the interconnectedness or all these different things that I get to educate modes like the, the, you know the self-help where does self-help um, meet money consciousness and how do we transcend scarcity consciousness and, and all these practical tools for entrepreneurs um, uh, from from a mindful conscious perspective mm-hmm. um, so 
so that so I, that's part of where I keep myself at the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. So I always have people that you know that I'm exposing myself to with new thoughts and people who are specialists in areas that I'm not in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of self care, for me it's it's spending time alone. I'm basically introverted. So when I'm on and I'm on and I'm on, I'm I'm like burning up extra energy. So the way that I rejuvenate, like re-energize, is time alone, ideally in nature. So that's an important part of my self care. Yeah. Um, even if I just go for a walk out outside, um, I'm fortunate that I you know live close to the bay here in Miami mm-hmm. for now. So just just seeing the ocean, seeing the lushness and the greenness makes does something to me. Right? It it's, it soothes my my soul. Um, yeah. And I've also been doing some Netflix therapy. Um, you know, the last the last year I've been watching a lot of series. Um, and but but again, doing it not just as in a, as an escapism not that there, there's anything wrong with that but i've spanish is my first language but i've been here since i was 10 so most of my studies and my reading have have been in english yeah. uh, and i'm having this book translated and if i'm going to you know in in day to day life i can get away with it because you're talking to a friend or at a store if you can't think of a word in one language you throw in it you throw it in yeah. <laughs> so it becomes like like spanglish or something a combination <laughs> of languages but if I'm going to start teaching in Spanish and, and recording and addressing, you know, the, the corporate mm-hmm. environment, mm-hmm. I've got to expand my vocabulary. So I've been intentionally, what, you know, like watching the Spanish language uh, series and then I'll pause it and I'll go, well, how did they say that? And then I'll Google it if I need to. It's yeah, it's it's been kind of fun, actually. Mm. That sounds really interesting. I uh, I need to think of a, a better reason for my watching of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I never used to. I, I never used to watch telly at all, really. And then during uh, lockdown, it became one of my hobbies because there wasn't much else to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And there, and there's a lot of there's a lot of mindless stuff. And you know, there's a time and a place for that. Yes. I would, you know, I would keep a keep keep a limit on that time if it's just mindlessness, yes. because. For your listeners who you know may, who may be younger than I am, it's it life really goes by so fast. So so make it count. Yes, um, yeah, that's true. To be fair, I I am reading a, a book in French at the moment, but it's very very slow going because <laughs> my French isn't that good. <laughs> but uh, a bit like your with your listening, I, uh, I I read a bit, then I look up the bits that I don't understand, and I am reading a book that I've read already in English, so it gives me half a chance of knowing what's going on. <laughs> oh, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah, I, I majored in French too, but I graduated and never really practiced it, mm-hmm. so I've I've forgotten most of my French. I think. Yeah. So last couple of questions. Um, firstly, what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those? Hmm. You know, a couple of practices that are really helpful. One is the breath. Um, so, you know, I'm a breathwork practitioner. So so whenever whenever we we find ourselves like just about to get upset, when, we, we've, when those pesky emotions start coming up, rather than suppressing them, because we don't want to suppress them because they have to come out one way or another. So what happens when we suppress them is we suppress and we suppress. And then the next unfortunate one comes and rubs us the wrong way or says something the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption. And we cause harm because that energy has just been building up or it has to come out one way or another. We suppress, we suppress, we suppress, and then it starts seeping out and showing up as physical symptoms, cancer, heart attacks, ulcers. So we've got to learn how to how to feel our emotions and how to communicate them responsibly. And one way that we can do that is by by 
by using the breath mm-hmm. um, and by not suppressing them. So when we start, get, even like we're stuck in traffic and we start feeling that anger, that frustration, use your breath in that moment so that that stuff doesn't get anchored in your body. Mm-hmm. So you can literally f- feel the energy and then let it out um, so that it doesn't get stuck. The other thing that that I find do is it's it's more like a, like a mindset attitude check-in. Um, which is, you know, it, it's a it's a really it's a fundamental way of dealing with life, which we you know. There's there's the one thing we know is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way, whether it's a global pandemic or or the unexpected death of a loved one. Who knows, right? A, a, an economic crisis, the place where we work just shuts their doors. We we never know what's going to happen, and yeah. there's not a thing that we can do about that. But one thing that we always, always have choice about is how we show up in response to that. And and that simple, simple reframe changes everything, right? It it gets us, pops us out of this victim relationship to life. Poor me. Woe is me. If if I only hadn't lost my job, if if this hadn't happened, if, 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 if only, if only, if only, right? And that keeps us in the place of disempowerment. Um, and whereas the other way is like, all right, well, that sucked and I wish it hadn't happened. And no matter what happened in the past, I don't matter what happens coming, going forward, we always get to choose how we show up in response. And that's an incredibly empowering place to, to come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That was a, a really comprehensive answer but also went back on the the breath stuff which we didn't address earlier so i'm glad i'm glad you <laughs> put that in there thank you and then the last question is yeah. about um on those days where you get to live more and that's what i describe as where you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do what do those days look like for you hmm well if when i feel like all right that was a good day i feel like i made a difference I forwarded my mission in some way. I loved, I, I, I was an instrument of love. I saw that, that means we, we are givers and receivers of love. I got to go outside. Um, hopefully I had some really yummy, delicious food, maybe some, some dark chocolate, um, maybe had some beautiful, the opportunities were some beautiful, connected um, lovemaking. Um and, you know, those are, those are some of the things that make good days for me. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for your time today. Tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch. For, well, the book is available wherever books are sold. So you can pick it up at your local Watkins or, or on Amazon. Um, and in terms of, of reaching, is it Watkins, the name of the bookstore? What, or, what, what, in the UK? What's the name of the bookstore in the UK? Yeah. Waterstones. Waterstones. Yeah. I said, wait a minute. It's not Watkins. It's Waterstones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, so yeah. So, wherever books are sold. In terms of reaching me, probably the best way is my, my website, which is soulfulpower.com. And from there, they can access my social media. And for your, your audience, people um, who will go to soulfulpower.com. Um, and get on my email list. And we know how easy it is. Just click on subscribe down the road if it doesn't work for you. But just if you get on the email list now, you'll get a sample cha- sample chapter from the book. You'll get some of the power practices that we were talking about earlier. 
and a recorded teaching in a short 15 minutes or so guided meditation on trust, which I created specifically to help us navigate these uh, chaotic um, times of uncertainty and fear. And, and thank you, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And thanks for having, for having the show. I know that in your, your willingness to do so, you, a lot of people are impacted. Lovely. Thank you, Christian. Are you a home-based coach or consultant feeling like you need a bit of help? Our Power to Live More Calm membership is designed to meet you where you're at with the help you need in the moment so you can get unstuck, move forwards and get stuff done. You might think this sounds too good to be true or maybe wondering how it would fit with how you work and run your business. Why not have a no obligation chat with Jo to see how she can help you? All you need to do is go to powertolivemore.com slash calm call. All this information is available in the show notes, which you can get from the app where you're listening to this podcast from or from the website at powertolivemore.com forward slash 236. Thanks for listening and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more. 